following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. I mentioned it before, but it bears mentioning again that once again we got to see evil on display. Um, down in El Paso, a gunman goes into a shopping area, Walmart, and a, and a nearby area, and starts shooting people. And, you know, lots of people died, lots of people are injured, and once again, our country and our land is up in arms, pun intended, okay? And we're upset, and we're like, how long will, it, how long will this last? And the Christians might even say, how long, O oh Lord, right? And that's what we kind of feel like. And yet, this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And what's really interesting about all of this is that every time these kinds of things happen, some people will say, our thoughts and prayers are with those who have been impacted by this tragedy. And then other people will say, shut up with your thoughts and prayers. How about we get action going? We need to take action. And then they'll have a list of what they want to do. And I want you to hear me very clearly. I'm not into talking about any of those political actions that everybody wants to take. Take all those and put them on the shelf, and we'll talk about them when we're talking politics. Right now, we're talking about Jesus. And right now, what I want you to hear from me very clearly is that prayer is the most powerful action you can take in any context, in any situation, in any scenario. And if you're hearing that and going, you know, then I understand that. I get that because... Because if even if, I just want you to know, if I was on the ground in El Paso yesterday and I saw people go down, my first action would be probably, oh my goodness, oh Lord. But my second action would be, I'd be looking for something to take the gunner out. I mean, I would. I would be the guy that would run after them and I would want to tackle him and if he shoots me, I don't care. That would be my heart. My heart would be, this person must be stopped. But what I want you to know is that in your life and in your situation and as you navigate the political landscape and all the arguing and things that go on in the midst of that, that prayer is the most powerful action you can take. Because guess what, guys? Let's say you take out the gunner. Let's say your action does that. Or let's say you pass some sort of perfect gun law that somehow eliminates all crime in America, which you know, anyone's skeptical about that, but yet maintains our right to bear arms. Somehow you can even thread that needle and make it all work there will still be violence. Even if you took every gun on the planet Earth and took it away, people will kill each other. They'll find a way, trust me. It's been going on for, I don't know, what, 10, 20,000 years, however long it's been, right? And so the problem that we have is that, is that what I want you to see is, yes, we should, as if you are a politically-minded person, get busy, get involved with your politicians, contact or those people who do that. But as Christians, as people of the king, as people of the kingdom, do not believe the lie that thoughts and prayers are irrelevant. They are the most powerful action that we can take. And I want to be bold enough to prove that to you through Scripture today. Take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to put these up on the screen and zoom in, kind of pinch and zoom. You guys know what I'm talking about there. And so the reason why we're doing that is because if you, can, if you can grab a hold of what Scripture says to you, it will set you free to see how this works in the real world. You, brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul writes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you. Talking about the day when the Lord comes back like a thief. But I want you to hear the part about who you are. You are the sons of the light. 
You are the sons of the day. We do not long belong to the night or to the darkness. And some of the gals be sitting here, mind, that's kind of misogynistic, don't you think? No, it's actually not. It's the opposite because Jesus was so audacious as to the people of his time. Women could not own property, not with the same freedoms that men could. And so they could not become heirs to anything. They could not inherit anything. And so for him to include the ladies in the inheritance is a radical thing. He is declaring that there is no difference, Galatians 3.26, between male and female. We are one in Christ. Now, there are certainly differences between male and female, but not in value. Okay? My wife is always keen to remind me there's quite big differences. right? But the idea here is we're not talking about that. We're talking about how everyone in this room are heirs to the kingdom. You are sons of the day, sons of the light, and all the rights and privileges that that brings to you as people who are, as Romans chapter 8 would say, co-heirs with Christ. I mean, this is radical language. This is who you are. And what we must always do is be reminded that the world says it opposite. The world always measures your identity based upon your accomplishments or your lack thereof. You might be sitting there going, well, Mark, my life's kind of been a waste. Hasn't really meant anything. You know, I did a job, and maybe now I'm retired or trying to, and, and I've just been in the middle of all this, and, you know, and I just, I kind of blew it. You know, I kind of blew my life away. I wasted it. And therefore, you think your identity is some sort of failure or less than or any kind of variation of that theme. And what I want you to hear from God to you today is that you are a son of the day, a son of the light, a co-heir with Christ. Please hear that. Please hear that because it's not based on what you have done. It is based on what Jesus has done. That is how our identity is fostered. He proclaims it to you. He proclaims it to me. He says to you and to me, you are my child. And that is the baseline for everything. It is the pivot point for how we read the Bible, how we understand God's will in our lives, how we take one step at a time, who we are. So that means that if I face things and I fail, then I cry out to the one who created the universe with his voice, and I say, help me. And he's like, okay, because you're my kid. It's that simple. He doesn't go and like, well, let's see here. Let's look at the list. It's like the naughty list with Santa Claus, right? We all kind of think God works that way, and he does not work that way. He says, you're not on that naughty list. You're on the family list. I bought you with my blood. Take a look at verse 6, because he says, this is so important, he says, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. What causes a man or a woman or any other human to walk into a crowded area and open fire? And you might say, oh, well, I read in the news. It was, it was racially motivated. He was a white supremacist. Fine, right. But what about the other person and the person in that and the other person in Australia and the one in Norway where they have great gun laws? One last night in Dayton, which I didn't even see about. So the idea here is that wherever it is, what causes that? And what, we need, what we're called to do is to look and see. My, my, th- there's this phrase on the screen right now. It says, not how you look, it's how you see. And somebody might say, ooh, what philosopher came up with that? That's kind of a guy. Like that's got a good ring to it. It was Audio Adrenaline, circa 1996. So just know, uh, for those of you who know that group, it's not how you look, it's how you see. And in this case, that's so important because when you know who you are, you're no longer worried about your appearance, well, at least not as much. And then, and then the idea is you grow in as the Lord sanctifies. He makes you holy. He brings you along so that you can see. Yes, it is 
terrible, and we should participate in whatever mechanisms the Lord has given to stop shootings, to stop people who are violent and evil. Anything that we can do. And if that means better gun control, then let's figure that out. But see, when I say that, there are people in this room that are like, ooh, does that mean he's a Democrat? I am a Christian. And you know what that means for all the politically minded people in the room? Sometimes you don't fit in these neat little categories that our political scene tries to equip for, tries to claim that we should. We follow Jesus. And so that creates really strange things because that means we might be for this and against that and that doesn't fit any political party except the political party of the Lord. The Lord of the universe. We are called to be alert. And it's really interesting. I challenge you, for those of you scholars that are in the room, Look at every instance where we're called to pray and you will find either in the right next word or the right next sentence the, the call to be alert at the same time. It's there every time. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciples keep falling asleep. He's like, can't you watch even for one hour? And they're just like, we're really sorry. And so he's kind of a little bit frustrated because he's getting ready to face all of the sins of the world being poured out on his body. Right? That's about what Jesus is about to do. And he says to them, be alert, watch, and pray that you do not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. This is what we're doing. So there's always this call to be alert. And what my prayer for you and for me today is when you go through your life this week, today, tomorrow, that you encounter things, that you, you open your eyes and you look. So, so Debbie and I went to our, on our date night Thursday night. I shared a little bit of this in Bible class. We went on our date night. And the plan was like, you know, she was really busy, I was really busy. We were just like, oh, we just need, to, we need a night out on the town. You know, just let all the world go by. I might drink a margarita, just one, and, and we might enjoy it, right? And so then, so what we did is we went to a little hacienda where my son works and we're having a good time, or at least we thought we were going to. And we walk in there and we sit down, and there was this interesting situation because there were two tables next to ours. One table had an elderly couple, and another table had a little younger couple. And the elderly couple, just as we're sitting down, they're, they're, they had bought the meal of the table of the younger couple because they wanted to just bless their neighbor. That's like one of the things they do. They're like, they put it in their budget. When we go out to eat, we're going to buy somebody's dinner sitting around us. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a great way to share your faith and love your neighbor. That's a, and, and most of the time, you would think that that would be well-received. Not this time. So we sit down, I'm literally scooting into the booth, and the lady behind me, who was the younger couple, she just starts cussing at sailors. She put a sailor under the table, just going nuts. And I'm like, what in the world? And you know what my first thought was? This shows you how much of a broken human I am. I was like, can't I just have one meal without having to fight the devil? You know what I mean? This is what we did. You know, like, what we do? So she's just going, and, and it was so funny. It was like this giant invisible hand just shoved me right out of the booth, and I went, and I just had to talk to her. I was like, Ma'am, can I help you? Because this seems like a really bad situation and you're kind of cussing and I'm trying to take my wife out on a date night. And she's like, I'm so sorry. Be alert. Because guys, we might be urged to say, what a jerk that lady was. And she was certainly acting that way. She had received this gift from these people and she just refused it. She's like, something must be wrong. There's no way someone in this world will give us a free meal. And yet that's exactly what happened. So what we're called to do is have open eyes that say, well, what is the real story? Why is she so upset? Well, imagine if you knew the story, because I don't. I don't know the story, but we can imagine all kinds of things. And the point is, is what this is doing is this is saying, be self-controlled. If she's saying blankety-blank, don't say blankety-blank back to her. Is there something I can do to help you? 
because I'm supposed to be on my date night right now, and this ain't working out, right? I was not coming with a good motivation, but the Lord was working through me in spite of me. And I encourage you to call out to him to do the same for you because we're all going to... Branson is packed this weekend, so when you leave here, if you're going to eat lunch, you're going to wait for a while. That's just what's going to happen. And so be ready. Be alert. Look around. Who's waiting in line? Who's really upset? Pray for them. Pray for your own patience, which is probably quickly expiring like me. It's like Pastor Dar always taught me. Lord, give me patience. Give it to me right now. Right? Take a look at verse 8. There's this cool scene in the Avengers movie, the first Avengers movie, where Tony Stark and, 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 and Steve Rogers are arguing. And if you don't know these characters, you don't need to know. That's fine. But Steve Rogers is kind of grouchy because, you know, Tony, he doesn't believe Tony will do what's right. He doesn't believe he'll lay down on the grenade for his brothers if a grenade falls in front of him. And Tony's like, well, actually, I just find another way. You know, that's always Tony's thing. And so then Cap says to him, put on the suit. Put on the suit. Let's go a few rounds, right? And, 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 and he's not doing it out of happiness. He's not doing it out of, out of positiveness. And if you've seen the movie, you know kind of how that plays out over like 24 movies. It's really good. What a time to be alive, right? But the idea here is this. The idea here is this. I want you to put on the suit and let's go a few rounds. Not for the same reason they were doing it, but for the, for the reason that Steve was, ta- was saying. There may be a, come a time when we need to act. We need to take action. How are we going to take action? Since we belong to the day, the Apostle Paul writes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate which covers our hearts and the hope of salvation which is, which is a helmet that we put on our heads. You see how this will impact how we deal with people, whether they're the person sitting next to you in the booth or the person you're waiting in line next to or the person that you sleep next to, the person you work with, the person you play with, you have fun with, the person you thought you were going to be able to have a good time with, but now it's not working out. We belong to the day. We belong to the light. You are called to love. You are called to love, and yet how can we love when people are not loving us Answer, put on the suit. It'll be way, I know it doesn't sound this way, but it'll be way cooler than Iron Man. It really will. I, I, I mean, I know Iron Man's cool. This will be so much more powerful. Because at the end of the day, his repulsor blasts are only going to do so much, and they certainly won't do any restoration. They'll only do destruction. This suit will bring restoration. We called it last week the weapons of mass restoration. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All of that happens when you put on the suit. How do you put on the suit? I'm so glad you asked that. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. We start to learn how to put on the suit when when we actually believe the good news. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever just think God's mad at you? This is what we do. We think that God gets mad at us. And sometimes, you might, you might even argue with me and say, I've got good reason to think that because you don't know what I did last night. And I understand that. But that's not what God's in the business. He's not in the business. Like, it's like Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon way back in the 1800s or whatever. And he's like, he's like God is like, he's like this. And he's dangling sinners over the fire just waiting for a reason to drop them in. And, and, and you're just thinking, whoa, I just gave him a reason. Mm-mm. No, that's not what the Bible says. Sorry, Jonathan Edwards, all respect. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. How? Through Jesus, the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah, the Rescuer, 
the one who was to come. Why did Jesus do this? He died for us so that whether we are awake, which if we remember earlier context, kind of doing the right thing, being alert, looking around, or we're asleep when we're not doing it. Like Mark was not on date night, right? I wasn't doing it. And I had to be, you know, like this by the Lord to wake up. Whether we're awake or asleep, no matter what, he loves us and he wants to be with us. It's that simple. It's about getting the family back together. Have you guys ever been to a family reunion? Those are very interesting, right? There, there are a lot of emotions that swirl around. Some of them are positive. Some of them are like, oh my God, that's Uncle Charlie. I can't believe that. And you know, you just kind of start thinking and feeling that way. Or a little bit in between. What about a family reunion where you looked around and you said, oh my God. And I'm not talking about using the name of the Lord in vain here. I'm talking about praising His name. Because all of a sudden, those people that always drove you crazy have been restored and guess what? You who always drove them crazy have also been restored. And now there's peace. Jesus is so audacious, so amazing, that what He is proclaiming to you and to me is that starts now. Not on the last day. It starts now. John chapter 5, He who believes in Me, who hears My word and hears what I say and believes it, is as, as if, and He doesn't say as if, I'm just not remembering the words right. He says, is... Someone who has already moved from death to life. Verses 24 and following. And so what you need to know, what you need to trust is God's promises. Because His promises are that He is with us and that when we believe Him, this will begin now. And when we fail, He reaches down and He picks us back up and He says, let's do this again. Whether you're awake or asleep, He wants to live together with us. Take a look at verses 16 to 18. And we're also going to bring in Colossians 4.2 because it's the same basic message. And I want you to see them back. Because how do we actually push back the darkness? He says, be joyful always. And I'm like, yeah, Paul, I'll get right on that. How do you be joyful always, especially if you're in El Paso, Texas right now? How do you be joyful? Or in Dayton or wherever it might be. How do you be joyful always? Well, see, happiness is dependent upon your circumstances, but joy is not. Happiness is something that you create based upon if you can just get the Netflix to work or if you can get enough fuel in the tank or if you get that ribeye just cooked just right. Everybody's like, I'm going out for ribeye for lunch. Joy comes from the Lord. It comes in the morning, the psalmist tells us. Joy is something that He creates in us by His Spirit. So be joyful always is crying out, Lord, I, I'm ready for joy. I want to I participate with you today. And in, inviting us to do this, pray continually. How do you pray continually? Well, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. So you, keep, you, you, know, you can pray with your eyes open. It's okay. Um, you can pray out loud. You can pray quietly. You can pray a little bit of both. Sometimes I'll be like out walking around outside doing something. I'll be walking back in and people will hear me talking. Who are you talking to, Jesus? And I'm like, oh yeah, Mark's weird. But that's okay. Just know that you should pray all the time. And you should pray about everything. And if you think, no, nah, God doesn't care about that, you're wrong. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. There it is again. Prayer goes along with not how you look, but it's how you see Believe the promise and pray. Believe the promise and pray. I'm going to say it one more time. Believe the promise and pray. Take a look at Colossians 4, verses 5 to 6. Shine it, right? It's a power that comes out of you and it goes on to others. 
Wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Mark was not wise Thursday night when I wanted to go over and slap that lady for cussing. I was like, can't we just have a night on the town? That was my attitude. It was the wrong attitude. This person was suffering, and she needed the love of Jesus. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. I don't know if she's an outsider or not. I don't know that. But either way, I didn't know her. So for me, she's an outsider. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. So when I talk to her, my my attitude should be, how can I help you? Not, can you please shut up? Always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So yeah, there is an aspect that sometimes you've got to tell people, look, what you're doing is hurting me or hurting my family. There is an aspect of that. So there's the tr- this love, there's the speaking the love in truth, right? We, 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 we hold those together. But always full of grace so that you may know how to answer everyone. So now what, I, what did I do since I blew it? I began praying immediately. Lord, I blew that. Please be with her. Please let somebody else who's not being so selfish tonight encounter her and share the love of Jesus with her the right way. Because I sure didn't do it. And see, you and I have that opportunity, whether it's with a random person in the restaurant or with a very specific person who is in your house or with a very specific person who is in your office or in your school or where you're hanging out this afternoon. Colossians 4, verse 12. The most powerful action you can take. Epaphras. I know you're thinking it's our old buddy Ep, right? I mean, who, where, why have we heard of Epaphras before? And, and why are not more children named after him? So some of you who are of age, be thinking about this, right? Could be named Epaphras, you know? And everybody's like, who's Epaphras? This is Epaphras. He is one of you. He's a slave for Jesus. And he sends you greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. The word wrestling there, it's the Greek word for wrestling. <laughs> Struggling. You know, you know how, I don't know if everybody has wrestled, right? You just... And sometimes, I don't know if you ever wrestle with your faith, with your heart, with your family, with your friends, with life. Wrestle in prayer. Don't give up. Keep praying. Jesus tells the story of the woman, the the widow. Um, He tells the story of the widow who kept going to the judge. He's like, go away. This court's not open. Everybody's like, would he please stop doing that? That's what the judge said. And finally he said, because this woman will never shut up, she will never stop knocking, I will give her justice. And Jesus says this. This is what Jesus says. He goes, that judge neither fears God nor man, and he was willing to do it because she wouldn't stop knocking. What about your heavenly Father who loves you? Call out to him every day, all day long, and then some more at night. And never stop because, look at this, he's, Repiphorus is always wrestling in prayer for you. Why is he doing it? So that you may stand. You may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. You need to know that Jesus loves you. You need to know he died for you. You need to know that he brought heaven here so that you would have it and so that others would be able to have it too. Last passage. Everybody's like, glory to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 to 24. This is his blessing. This is his benediction for his letter. He says, may God himself, the God of peace. Who? Who is he? He's the God of peace. May he sanctify you. That's big fancy language where he's going to make you really weird. 
Hagias. That's what he's doing. Hagiazo, it's the verb. He, he, he's, he's making you holy. Holy means different. Holy means set apart. doesn't necessarily mean good, although that it tends to include a lot of goodness. It means different. I was over at, at Don Mitten's celebration of life yesterday, and I couldn't help notice how many people, when they came up to talk about Don, said, you know, he's a little unusual. And I was like, holy? He's a little different. He's a little odd. Holy? You know, Don, Don did everything different. He, he wrote his obituary, and his obituary is basically, I want everyone to know Jesus. He's a little bit about me, but I want everyone to know Jesus. His celebration of life service was, I want everybody to know Jesus. I want people to tell stories about what, what that means for them. And everyone did. Everyone came up and said, you know, Don always spoke to me about my name. He always changed my name. He called me Preacher Man, which I just love that. Now that I realize that he gave everyone a new name. He nicked their name, Jeff was explaining to me which comes right out of the Scripture. God would change people's names. He would adjust their name. He'd change Simon to Peter, and on we could go. Who is God and who are you? If you get that right, guys, if you trust the promises, then your prayers are now going to be powerful. James says that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Do you know what makes you righteous? All those good works you do. No Jesus makes you righteous. And when you call out his name and say, Lord, I believe it. I don't know, I, don't, I can't explain it, I can't understand it, but I believe it. Righteousness comes upon you. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. And it flows upon you. And you know what you have now is you have a powerful and effective prayer. Look at what he says. May he sanctify you. May he, may, may he make you unusual, just like Don Mitten. What a, what a joy that would be. Through and through, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless and the parousia, which means the arrival, the return of Jesus, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful and he's going to really hope and cheer you on that you will do it. That isn't what it says. It says he will do it. My prayer for you and for me is that we will believe that promise. And when we do, that we will pray. Deliver us from the evil one. Please join me in prayer. Father, we call upon you right now as broken people who need your righteousness and putting our trust in the one who died for us on the cross and asking for your forgiveness, for your restoration, and Lord, for your very resurrection to be upon us. Help us to believe the passages of Scripture which teach us that you live in our bodies, that you are sanctifying us through and through, which means to make us more and more unusual in this world. That we would look, not, not be focused on how we look, but focused on how we see, so that we would look around, that we would be alert, and that we would see people around us who are hurting and broken, and that we would pray for them. That we would be like Epaphras, and we would wrestle in prayer for them and for our loved ones and for ourselves and for our communities and for El Paso and for all the other places that are hurting right now. And that we would recognize that this is the most powerful thing that we can do. And that we would believe this crazy idea that we could sit here and pray. And that something like Daniel chapter 9 would happen where Gabriel himself would show up and say, as soon as you began to pray, your prayer was heard. Help everyone in this room who thinks their prayers are not heard suddenly receive power from you to know that they are. 
Let everyone in this room who thinks, yeah, but my prayers aren't heard, hear the good news that they are sons of the day, sons of light, co-heirs with Christ. They will most certainly be heard. And let everyone in this room who thinks, yeah, but what about those prayers that have never been answered? That they would know that as soon as they began to pray, they were answered. But that they would trust you for the outcomes and they would put their trust in the promises of God, not in, their, not in what they think, but in what you think. That no matter what, everyone in this room would believe that you are faithful and that you will do it. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, the Rescuer, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.